0: the Bible. Are you intimidated at the thought of reading such a complicated book? Do you find it daunting or delightful or both? Welcome Welcome to to the the club, club. the Bible book club, where we read every
1: word of this great book and then dig in and study it together.
0: Together. We are nearing the end of the book of Genesis. So close. And so what we've read is two chapters, started. start a father and a son, the leadership team, really. Jacob, he wrestled, he persisted faithfully, and then he finished well. And Joseph, the sufferer, as you know, he was suffering away in prison and then was um, elevated, who persisted, hopefully, he finished well as well. So here's where we are. They were... Totally different leaders, Joseph and Jacob, father and son, and yet God used them both. They helped build the nation of Israel. The same one we know today. Exactly. And today
1: I have a big overview because we are nearing the end and there are some things we have to wrap up and tie with a bow. And so we're going to go back a little bit let's talk about genesis 35 episodes ago we began this journey into the greatest book ever written the bible and we started in the beginning with genesis and remember with john with creation and the word also known as jesus who was with God in the beginning. What we are about to discuss is the beginning of the end of Genesis, but it is not the end of our story, as you will learn next week. Before we continue, I want us to zoom out for just a minute for a wider view of where we have been and why it is so important. In episode four, we discussed something called
0: Proto-Evangelium. A word that's even harder to pronounce than any of the names I've had to say. This. Yeah, it's, it's, kind of- it's-
1: it's kind of long and it means the first prophecy of how God would redeem the fallen world and that prophecy came very very early in just Genesis 3:15 the lord explained the consequences of the fall and to the serpent he said this and i will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers he will crush your head and you will strike his heel the meaning behind this First prophecy was that there will be an offspring or seed, it's sometimes called, in the future, and he will defeat the serpent, the one who had just tricked Eve. When he destroys the serpent, chaos will end and the world will be restored to order. Because remember, in the fall, they had order and the serpent dragged them into chaos. With sin, there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and you can read all about that in Revelations twenty-one, or you can wait till we get there in Bible oh, yeah. book
0: Club in about fifty years. No, it, <laughs> no won't it won't take
1: that long. We won't let it. <laughs> um, so it's going to be like a new paradise because God's dwelling place will once again be among His people. This verse in Genesis three fifteen is the origin from which all prophecy stems. And this verse provides hope for a future Savior and eternal life in that new heaven and earth. Now, the story of the Savior can be found in the New Testament, but God's plan and prophecy for the coming Savior starts in the Old Testament, way in the beginning. This is why the Old Testament is crucial to understanding the New Testament. The Old Testament provides the foundation for understanding God's purpose and plan to save us through this one seed, Jesus. Just like a foundation of a building is concealed, it's still essential. And the New Testament, the part we see most often in church, builds on the foundation of the Old Testament, detailing the life of Christ, the plan for the church, and a picture of what the world will look like when God has restored it to order.
0: Yeah, and I think sometimes the Old Testament, we've talked about this before, it's daunting because it feels like it's gonna be confusing and there's a lot of names and there are just there's confusing prophecies and just strange things in there that we don't understand because we didn't understand the culture. And that's really why we created Bible Book Club because we want to hold your hand and we want to walk you through this and we're going to make some connections for you so you can really see the tangible evidence that this is the foundation of the faith.
1: And no, we're learning as we walk through it too because although I've taught this before every time I study it I'm like oh my gosh how did I miss that last time? It's so fascinating the old testament. All right. Well, the apostle Paul sums this up in Ephesians 2:19. Listen to what he says. He says, "Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together." Think of the old testament and the new testament being joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Christ is that cornerstone and in him, we're all being joined together. And remember, remember, if you didn't know this, God resided in the temple in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, the temple is our body. God resides in us. So it's so important what Paul is saying here. All right, Revelations 21, 9, which you know is the last book in the Bible, and it's a vision of the apostle John, who is the last apostle left at the time, I believe, is seeing the future. And he pulls it all together with this glimpse. Well, of his vision.
0: It's also really interesting that, as you pointed out again just now, but also in the first episode, John was really the start of yes. talking about Genesis because he was there in the beginning. That's John's Gospel, right. and so then John was talking about the beginning in, in his Gospel. And John, who was one of Jesus's disciples, one of the ones that I think it's said about him that he loved, he's the one who is writing the end of the Bible because of a vision that he had. When he was in exile on a on an island all alone, that's how it ends. So it begins and ends in some ways with, with John. what John
1: said. And I'm talking about prophecy here, the first prophecy, and John is the one who had the last prophecy in Revelations. So he pulls it all together. And this is what he says. He says, one of the seven angels said to me, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the land, meaning the believers. We are the bride of Christ. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city Jerusalem. Coming down out of heaven from God, it shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three in the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. He's tying
0: together the twelve of the Old Testament and the and the twelve of the New. I've always, when I read uh, Revelation, which I have several times, I always wish that I could paint because. John has these imageries that he puts yeah. in Revelation and I've always wanted to paint the city the way John describes it I with know. the colors and the jasper and all the other streets of gold yeah, yeah. I've always wanted to paint it but I'm not an artist yeah, either. but you got it in your head and that's important yeah.
1: alright let me give you the setup for chapter 49 the prophecy and the promise have been building throughout Genesis that's what I'm getting to in Genesis 3 15 we had the first prophecy so let me tell you how this builds and that one is the start of all prophecy. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. From this prophecy comes the need to track the offspring through genealogies, which Heather is really going to dig into next week. The first genealogy we covered was in episode six, Genesis five, the genealogy from Adam to Noah. Now, the second prophecy we really want to focus on is in 926, and it's Noah's prophecy about Shem. Praise be the Lord, the God of Shem. May Canaan be the slave of Shem. May God extend Japheth's territory. May Japheth live in the tents of Shem and may Canaan be the slave of Japheth. He's setting up the rule of his three sons. Shem will rule and carry the line of Christ. Important to know because that first prophecy said from the line is going to come this seed. In episode 11, we discuss Genesis 11 and the genealogy that then takes us from Shem to Abraham. Now, Genesis 22, then the prophecy builds to Abraham at the sacrifice of Isaac. So we're getting more and more detail about this prophecy of a savior. We know that we need one in Genesis 3.15. We know that it's going to come from the line of Shem. And now to Abraham, we get this, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from a heaven a second time and said, "'I swear by myself,' declares the Lord." that because you have done this, the sacrifice of Isaac, and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand and the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you've obeyed me. The promise begins and is narrowed down to this one family. God's going to bless them. He's going to make them numerous. They're going to take possession of the land and through them, all nations, will be blessed. God repeated this first to Isaac, then to Jacob. In Genesis 26 six two, we covered the prophecy to Isaac and it's pretty much the same. He says, I'm going to be with you and bless you. I'm going to give you all the lands. I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. Then in twenty eight thirteen, he gives it to, to Jacob. When he left his parents, you know, and because of Esau's threats, he said, I'm going to give you and your descendants the land. Your descendants will be like the dust of all the earth, that numerous all peoples on earth will be blessed for you. I am with you and I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. little expansion there. I am with you. Now in Genesis 32, Jacob, the individual becomes Israel. We're transitioning in the prophecy from patriarch to nation. And it says there in verse 28, then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. No longer, Jacob the supplanter, but Israel the perseverer with God. Moving forward in chapter 49.
0: Which is where we're reading today. But mm-hmm. just in case you missed that, what Susan was doing was recapping all the prophecies From the very beginning of Genesis, all the way to where we are now, just so that you would be reminded of what they were, so that when you hear these words, you will go, oh,
1: and you can connect the dots. Because he has done, he has fulfilled some of these promises. They are becoming a great nation, but as we go into Exodus... That nation's gonna grow. And then to fulfill his promise, God has to bring them out of Exodus and give them the land because they will have become in Egypt as numerous as the stars. And he's gotta bring them out. Well, we become, we're part of the numerous as the stars, but they have grown. So this is where we're heading. This whole next two chapters, 49 and 50, are really transitioning us for the Exodus. So for the next book in the Bible, here we go. So chapter 49 is the blessing and prophecy that is being transferred to each of the 12 sons. Jacob is about to prophesy... About the future of each of their individual tribes, and that prophecy is based upon their present character traits and choices they made as individuals. Well, that's a scary thought. <laughs> I hope my kids' um, future isn't dependent on my my thoughts, but this is the way
0: it went. then. Well, they kind of are. We've talked know, about that before. There's a, that. A, you're really the, you're affecting future generations about the decisions that you make today. Yes. We do have good examples in
1: Joseph and um, Jacob of how we can change, though. All right. The promise to become a great nation will continue through all 12 sons, not just one son. All 12 will become the nation of Israel. And it's important to note that although only one tribe will be chosen for the line of the Savior, the others do not lose their inheritance promised to Abraham as a part of Israel. They will all receive land in Canaan and all will be a blessing to the world. This is different from other descendants of Abraham who did not carry the seed of Christ, such as Ishmael. So because all of these 12 are Jacob's sons, he's not choosing just, God is not choosing one son anymore. He has made them a tribe. They have to become a very large and great nation. So he's, you can't just do that in one son. And so all of them are part of the promise for the land and that they will become numerous as, as the stars. But because we have to trace the genealogy of where christ comes from we're still going to trace that through one son one is a very singular function and one is a very a a large function so this the tribe of israel the nation are the promised people only one tribe is going to carry the genealogy of christ and that's judah all right note also throughout the blessing there is this intensity about their future the responsibility they carry is a blessing, but it's also going to be a battle. He just doesn't hand over the land of Canaan, and he hasn't handed it over even today. today. <laughs> it's a lot of fighting. However, it is a battle that we know because we know the end of the story is going to end in victory, but it's going to be Jesus's victory. All right, starting in chapter 49. I oh, know that was I a get lot. to
0: read this chapter. Yes, you do. <laughs> chapter 49. Then Jacob called for his sons and said, gather around so I can tell you what will happen to you in days to come. Assemble and listen, sons of Jacob, listen to your father, Israel, Reuben you are my firstborn my might the first sign of my strength excelling in honor excelling in power turbulent as the waters you will no longer excel for you went up into your father's bed onto my couch and defiled it all right remember from our history past
1: episodes that Reuben never really it says repented from sleeping with his father's concubine like you saw he chose immediate gratification over the opportunity to lead Israel. It was his to lose and he lost it. His character, turbulent as the waters, was too unstable to lead well. The outcome is that the double portion went to Joseph through his sons and the leadership went to Judah. As for Reuben and his tribe, in Numbers 32, we're going to learn. That Reuben and Gad tell Moses they want to settle on the wrong side of the Jordan rather than settle in the promised land. Even though Mo- Moses warns them against it, they do it anyway. And no king, judge, or prophet ever comes from the tribe of Reuben. The lesson to us is the solution to an unstable character is to
0: learn self-control. Was that your way of teasing them that we're about to get into Exodus by talking about Moses? Well, just a little. There's all kinds of stuff that plays out for these poor Four tribes. Continuing on in verse five Simeon and Levi are brothers. Their swords are weapons of violence let me not enter their council. Let me not join their assembly for they have killed men in their anger and hamstrung oxen as they please. Cursed be their anger so fierce and their fury so cruel. I will scatter them in Jacob and disperse them in Israel. All right, history. Simeon and Levi secretly and vengefully
1: killed the Shechemites when their sister was raped in Genesis 34. The outcome of this was that together, the were dangerous, so they will be divided and scattered. Simeon's tribe is given a settlement within Judah's territory, so they're surrounded by the people of Judah. They don't get their own space. I am going to put a map in the show notes that shows all of the territories that are given and where everybody ends up, so you guys can kind of take a look at it. Simeon's tribe is also totally omitted in Moses' blessing in Deuteronomy 33, so they kind of just kind of get absorbed a little bit. Now, Levi, on the other hand, his curse became a blessing when the tribe, the Levite tribe stood with Moses in Exodus 32 in the golden calf rebellion. So if we're going to get there, so I'm not going to tell the whole story, but they did a good thing. So God gave the Levites the honor of being the priests. They still will be scattered as the original curse indicated, but their presence Throughout Israel would be a blessing to every tribe because they take position in key cities throughout all the tribes to be the priests
0: for those tribes. So let me get this straight. Reuben... He's a little hot-headed, and he makes some mistakes, so he still gets a blessing, but he can't carry the line. Simeon and Levi, also hot-headed, they make some mistakes, they still get land, not as much land, but they don't get to carry the line.
1: Yeah, and the Levites don't get any land. The Levites are only getting to be the priests. Right, they're yeah. scattered, and and Simeon's people are kind of so scattered within Judah, they get a little bit of absorbed. They don't have really their own territory. The lesson is even the results of sin can become a means of blessing. And that um, I'm talking about the Levites in this case, because even though the first curse remained, they had to be scattered. Their scattering was became a service to all the other tribes.
0: And ultimately a blessing because then they helped right. them worship God.
1: Yes. anyway, And we all know Moses and Aaron were both Levites. Well, they may not have
0: known that, but they do know. They do know. Heads up. <laughs> (laughs) coming in exodus (laughs) (laughs) teasing exodus but for now back to verse 8 judah the main man judah your brothers will praise you your hand will be on the neck of your enemies your father's sons will bow down to you You are a lion's cub, Judah. You return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down like a lioness. Who dares to rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until to whom it belongs shall come and the obedience of the nation shall be his. He will tether his donkey to a vine, foreshadowing there, his colt to the choicest branch, He will wash his garments in wine and his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes will be darker than wine, his teeth whiter than milk. So right
1: off the bat, we're kind of um, attributing some of the things that were attributed to Joseph to Judah. Your brothers will praise you and your father's sons will bow down to you. If you remember, that was kind of Joseph's thing. He had visions of his brothers bowing down to him. History, Judah's name, remember, means praise because he was the fourth son born to Leah. And with his birth, she gave up trying to get to please Jacob, who really... This was only focused on Rachel and she found joy in pleasing God with this fourth son. Judah himself certainly had cause for praise. He repented from sin, unlike Reuben, who did not. And he offered to give his life in a very sacrificial move to save Benjamin. The outcome, Judah was given First and foremost, the privilege of being in the line of Christ. He's given power over his enemies and he is going to be a mighty warrior. He leads, we're going to see a lot in Exodus. He's given power over his brothers as the tribe of Judah rules over the others through the line of King David. The lion figuratively represents kingship and the tribe of Judah would rule in Israel until he whom it belongs or the Messiah returns. It is actually why... The Jews are called Jews. It comes from the word Judah. So now all Jews are kind of named after this one tribe. Mm. Verses 11 and 12 refer physically to the portion of land Judah was given, the wine district in the south. And it refers symbolically to the nation of Israel as the vine which God has planted and which we Gentile believers are grafted into. Today we call Hebrews, like I said, Israelites or Jews, which is short for Judahites.
0: Well, does it? also foreshadow Jesus because that was what came into my head as I was reading yes, it because a lot he of it, yeah. goes tells them to go get the donkey and they yep. probably think he's really crazy, but it's because of that verse. Yes.
1: Yes. The lesson for us is that God doesn't require perfection. Judah the man was not perfect. Remember the whole Tamar story. But he does require
0: repentance. All right, next on to Zebulon. Zebulun. Verse thirteen. Zebulun will live by the seashore. Oh, I like Zebulun. I love the seashore. <laughs> and become a haven for ships. His border will extend towards Sidon. All
1: right, not much there for Zebulun. History. This is a physical reference of the land the tribe of Zebulun would inhabit by the sea. The tribe settled near the Mediterranean Sea and the Sea of Galilee. Outcome. Because it was also a prophecy of the future, the area was a haven, a place where Christ performed many miracles. It was a quiet dwelling place for troubled souls. See Isaiah 9, 1 and Matthew 4, 13 for more on that. Moses spoke highly of this tribe in Deuteronomy 33:18 and the tribe received honor in Judges 5:18 and 1st Chronicles 12:40 so they are mentioned a lot in the future. Lastly, 11 of the disciples of Christ came from Galilee, which is also a territory in Zebulun. That's an interesting Uh fact. Mm -hmm. Not apostles, 11 of the disciples. So don't think all the apostles
0: came from this era.
1: The lesson for us is that God uses those with a gift
0: of hospitality. Are you a haven for others? Continuing on in verse 14. Ishkar is a raw-boned donkey lying down among the sheep pens. When he sees how good his resting place is and how pleasant his land, he will bend his shoulder to the burden and submit to forced labor.
1: All right. The history on Issachar. He received a small but fruitful territory. The outcome is it made life easy and was he was too lazy to withstand encroaching enemies. He got kind of, you know, just accustomed to ease. However, in Deut- Deuteronomy 3319, it states that this people will summon people to the mountain, which is an interesting prophecy because the sermon on the mount was given in Issachar's territory. <gasps> Yes. See, you're making all these parallels. It's so fun. The lesson for us is that to those who much is given, much is expected if you don't get lazy. But if you do, you lose the blessing. If you do, could you could run into problems because other people will come in and take over your territory and you'll be too lazy to kick them out. Am I
0: wrong about this? But I feel like there wasn't much talk about Ishgar.
1: So remember, the first four we covered heavily because they were um Leah's boys. Mm-hmm. Right now, we're covering the maidservants and they are Mm -hmm. to a certain extent lesser tribes in some ways it's really Leah and Rachel's tribes that are
0: prominent got it moving on to Dan verse 16 Dan will provide justice for his people as one of the tribes of Israel Dan will be a snake by the roadside a viper along the path that bites the horse's heels so that its rider tumbles backward I look for your deliverance Lord yeah so the lessons are don't Don't be a donkey (laughs) and you really don't want to be called a snake either. Be, be careful so how do we
1: avoid that Susan be, yeah but be a lion that's a good thing all right the history on Dan Dan is the first son of Rachel's maid and Rachel named him be judged because she felt God had judged her situation and blessed her with a son through her maid remember she just was really of jealous of Leah up until this point the outcome Samson was the most known judge in Dan and that's from Judges 13 through 16 however he too was unstable uh, a snake by the roadside refers to judges 18 a time when the tribe of Dan led the way in corruption resurrecting the worship of the golden calf Dan's corruption continued until their captivity it is possible that Dan the oldest of the four maids sons was the leader of the evil that Joseph reported to his father in Genesis 37. remember Joseph kind of got in trouble with his brothers because he tattletailed way back when when he was like 17. in numbers 10 ten, Dan will be the last tribe in the march and the last to receive his inheritance in Joshua, so he is not thought highly of. To make Dan's story sadder, there is a total omission of the tribe in first Chronicles genealogies and in Revelation seven. This mixture of good and evil may be why Jacob declares, I look for your deliverance, Lord. Like, Lord, this kid's making me crazy. (laughs) He's either really good or really bad. The lesson is for us, it is one thing to fall. In other words, to make a mistake. It is quite another to fall behind. In other words, not learn from your mistakes and end up last in the distribution of blessing. Mm,
0: I love that. We all should learn from our mistakes. Right. It's one thing to fall. It's another to fall behind. Verse 19. Gad will be attacked by a band of raiders, but he will attack them at their heels. All right, I mentioned before the history
1: on this Gad chose not to live in the promised land, but to stay on the east side of the Jordan. The outcome is this. It wasn't a good choice. They were constantly at war with surrounding Amorites and Midianites. But it seems that Gad fought hard, and some of Gad's victories are recorded in First Chronicles 5 and 12. The lesson is, press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called you, Philippians 3.14. Because who knows what would have happened to Gad had he pressed on and said, I am going to go to the promised
0: land, instead of taking a look around and going, ah, I think I'll just stay here. And having to be attacked and yeah. attack people all his life. Yeah. Good lesson. Verse 20, Asher's food will be rich. He will provide delicacies fit for a king. History, Asher
1: means happy, and God blessed Asher with a fertile territory. My son
0: Cody was almost named Asher. Oh,
1: I like it. The outcome, happy Asher took over peacefully and was so content, he never drove the enemy out of his territory. However, he did use his riches to provide for the temple in Solomon's time. And in Luke 2, the prophetess Anne was from the tribe of Asher. I don't have any lessons for us on that one because... I like food so I would have been happy too.
0: <laughs> Verse 21. Naphtali is a doe set free that bears beautiful fawns. Naphtali means my struggle. And the
1: outcome for him was this. This one little sentence possibly refers to Barak who in Judges 4 struggled until encouraged by the judge Deborah. He then broke free leading his people and won against a mighty enemy. So Barak was from the tribe of
0: Verse 22. Joseph is a fruitful vine, a fruitful vine near a spring whose branches climb over a wall. With bitterness, archers attacked him. They shot at him with hostility, but his bow remained steady. His strong arms stayed limber because of the hand of the mighty one of Jacob, because of the shepherd, the rock of Israel, because of your father's God who helps you, because of the Almighty, who blesses you with blessings of the skies above, blessings of of the deep springs below blessings of the breast and womb your father's blessings are greater than the blessings of the ancient mountains than the bounty of the age-old hills. Let all these rest on the head of Joseph on the brow of the prince among his brothers.
1: I wish you could see this in writing because Joseph gets like twice twice the words of everyone else. And you could just see Jacob elaborating here because I think in his heart, you know, he thought he was marrying Rachel and he wasn't. He ended up with Leah that night. His, his wedding night. And I think in his heart, Joseph is his firstborn because mm-hmm. Joseph is the firstborn of the one that really should have been his first wife. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And y- you can tell if Jacob had his way, he probably would have given it all to Joseph, the blessing, the birthright, the, the whole, seed, the everything. But he's faithful and he saw, Jacob is faithful and he saw God's plan and he was obedient to it, but he couldn't help just you know, waxing and waning a little bit on his beloved
0: Joseph. But I think Joseph still played such an important role in all of this because without Joseph, none of them probably would have survived. It it, it
1: was Joseph who brought him joy in his final 17 years Mm -hmm. when he was reunited with him. So the history here that this prophecy is referring to is... Joseph's archers, it referred to, were his brothers and Potiphar, the ones who tried to shoot him down. Joseph's strength came from God, the mighty one, the shepherd, the rock of Israel. Jacob sees that God's hand is on this son. The outcome is that Joseph did lead a fruitful life that was so abundant, it climbed over the wall, is what it said, blessing not only his own family, but blessing Pharaoh and the Egyptian too. He was so fruitful. The outcome also was that the firstborn portion of a double inheritance was given to Joseph through his sons Manasseh and Ephraim. We covered that last episode. But Jacob could not give Joseph the kingship or priesthood. Instead, he blesses him with excessive fruitfulness. Joseph's blessing, the last portion of this, were many, but can be placed into two categories. Jacob gave earthly blessings. He mentioned the skies above, which is rain, the fertile land from the springs below, marriage, children, and and J- Jacob also bestowed on Joseph eternal blessings. The reference of ancient mountains and age-old hills imply blessings greater than Abraham's even, greater than Isaac's and greater than his own father, Jacob's. Also, that they would endure spiritually forever these blessings until Christ arrives. The lesson to us is, remember that what others intend to harm, God intends
0: for good. And that's kind of Joseph's life. Mm Mm-hmm. Verse 27, Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. In the morning, he devours the prey. In the evening, he divides the plunder.
1: This is a violent prophecy for another favorite son. But then remember, Jacob didn't get to choose these prophecies. The outcome, in Judges 20, the Benjamites are very wicked. In Chronicles 8 and 12, their skill at war is used for great good. Saul and his son Jonathan were both evil and good Benjaminites. paul of the new testament was a benjaminite who wrought evil as saul and good as paul remember saul that's
0: it, a tongue twister i know saul <laughs> becomes
1: paul remember god changes his name so well we haven't read this but they he was not evil remember. and he was evil and then good and the lesson here is that there is redemption for even the wolf so the benjaminites have this history of being both very bad
0: and often very good oh my goodness so, you're talking about Saul, who was and the Jonathan. king before David, and then you're also talking about Saul, who became Paul. Paul. They're two different Sauls. I'm so sorry. It's very confusing. There's Saul
1: of the Old Testament and Saul of the
0: New Testament. What's in a name? Verse 28, all these were the 12 tribes of Israel. And this is what their father said to them when he blessed them, giving each the blessing appropriate to him. God used all of Jacob's sons together as a
1: unit, the nation of Israel, in his plan to bless the world and restore us to order through his son. He used them in sin and obedience, in their weakness and strength. He redeemed them as he redeemed us. They were the people of God then, as we who believe are the people of God today. As you ponder
0: Jacob's sons, which one do you most identify with? Well, that's a hard question because I might want to identify with some, (laughs) but if I'm being honest, I might identify better with others. I try not to be the hothead. (laughs) We all want to be Joseph. Let's just be honest. We all want to, but... Let's be real. So continuing on the end of this chapter, the death of Jacob, verse 29. Then he gave them these instructions. I am about to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave in the field of Ephron the Hittite, the cave in the field of Meshkelath near Mamre in Canaan, which Abraham bought along with the field as a barrier place from Ephron the Hittite. There Abraham and his wife Sarah were buried. There Isaac and his wife Rebekah were buried. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave in it were bought from the Hittites. When Jacob had finished giving instructions to his sons, he drew his feet up into the bed, breathed his last, and was gathered to his
1: people. I love in Hebrews 11, when it mentions Jacob, it says he worshiped and he leaned on his staff. And this is how I picture him at the very end. He struggled, wrestled, overcame, raised 12 sons while he had four wives. I mean, I don't know how many daughters he had and I don't know how many grandchildren, but he fought to the end. And finally, he was at rest. What a patriarch. We have just put one show note. Check it out. It's a map. The tribal allotments of Israel.